The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like building our empathy muscles without burning ourselves out, when our partner's exes are ruining our lives, and why <laughs> making mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. But before we begin, right. we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners. We are not like Brene Brown, who has a PhD in like shame mm -mm. or whatever. Like mm -mm. literally, we just mm -mm. went to therapy and read some books and talked to each <laughs> other a, a lot. PhD. <laughs> I have a PhD in shame, but like, it's not like the streets PhD, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like heart school of hard knocks. Like you always say, like yep. my, my PhD in shame is just me feeling ashamed <laughs> about myself <laughs> for my whole life. <laughs> you have decades of experience in, in being ashamed. <laughs> yes. So watch out, Brene. I'm coming for you. Unlocking us. What? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's their podcast. <laughs> um, okay. 
this is all to say, Sam and I are obviously not professionals. We are not trained in this. We are not even like professionally behaving. We don't behave like professionals. I just threatened Brene Brown. Um, so this is all to say, please take our advice as you see fit. We're just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, before we get into this week's check-in topics, I got two, I got, I've got two uh, quick announcements. One, um, if you are listening to this in real time, our upcoming St. Paul live show is happening this Friday, October 21st. It's been rescheduled thanks to my baby and her dumb COVID. Um, (laughs) But it's been rescheduled for this Friday, October 21st. It's happening at Amsterdam Bar and Hall in downtown St. Paul, 7 p.m. All ages. Get your tickets for live in person or virtual at justbreakuppod.com. Last time I'm going to talk about that. Next cool (laughs) announcement is we're doing a brand new series of our head and heart work interviews. We've got so many amazing new interviews lined up for you. And just to name a few, we've talked to Oscar Montoya, who stars as Richie on the hit HBO show Minx. Yeah, we also talked to Angela Chen, uh, the author of the book Ace, which uh, is one of the like four books that I keep talking about on this podcast. So it was a delight (laughs) to talk to her. And we're talking to the musician J.P. Sachs, who is an amazing Canadian musician and singer-songwriter, Grammy-nominated, phenomenal lyricist. uh, And we've got a handful of other awesome guests uh, who we'll announce um, as they come out. So stay tuned to that. The new Head & Heart Work interview series is going to start in November, and it's going to be every other Thursday starting November third wherever you listen to your podcast it'll come out on our primary feed okay so this week's check-in topic um is about therapy and my therapy experience (laughs) (laughs) uh because that's what this podcast is is i was (laughs) yeah literally it's regurgitating what we are processing in real time Mm -hmm. um i in this week in therapy i my therapist was saying something that was giving me like a personal revelation And then she was like, what do you think about that? And I was like, honestly, I'm sitting here thinking about how I can share this on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And that is codependency, friends. (laughs) Do you want to share it? I mean, we don't have to talk about my therapy. We could talk about your therapy. No, 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 no. It was basically about how I monetize vulnerability my entire life. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, wonder what In this podcast is. In my desperate attempt to feel loved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, it's going to be I've just made fine. my whole life. Yeah, okay. Continue. You're gonna, tell you're me be about. Fine. I promise. <laughs> tell me about what you learned in therapy, my friend, and okay, how we're going to apply it to all of our Just Break Up community. Um, cool. So we, I've been talking a lot about my current therapy journey, which is that my therapist um, basically... <laughs> very gently told me that I have PTSD around my dad's death. Um, for folks who don't know, my dad committed suicide, uh, three and a half years ago, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think that I've shared this, but I was also the person who found him when, uh, he was found too. So that's part of the PTSD as well. Um, and so he recommended that we use this thing called cognitive processing therapy. Um, it's a tool that folks use that's been developed by the Veterans the Veterans Affairs Department. 
um, to help uh, soldiers who are coming back from war and are experiencing PTSD. And they found that it actually works really well with all sorts of folks who have PTSD. In fact, they started using it with folks who were survivors of se- sexual assault as well um, and really noticed that it was it had a profound impact on people's sort of experience of that trauma and their ability to sort of cope with things after the trauma came up. Um, if you want to know more about it, there's actually a really good This American Life episode about it. Um, mm. It is called 10 Sessions. Um, episode 682 came out in 2019. Um where they really, they actually do, uh, they follow somebody who's going through this therapy. Um, and it's designed to be sort of 10 sessions where you talk about a bunch of things. And at the end, you're supposed to walk away and be able to sort of therapize yourself, right? Like the ability to say, oh, I'm recognizing what's coming up in me. Um, and here are the tools that I use when this happens. Here are the questions that I ask. But one of the things that we, um, that you do as part of this therapy is identify stuck points that you have about what happened um, and about what is currently going on for you. And these stuck points for me as an example, right. Was that like, I wasn't paying enough attention. And so that's why this thing happened or this idea of, um, if I had, um, if I had been more aware of my surroundings, when I found him, it would have been less traumatic for me. Um, or this Mm. idea of like, my trauma is making me really separate from other people. It's too big for other people. So I have to hold it all. Um, and the idea is that you sort of notice when these stuck points are coming up for you, uh, when these patterns are repeating themselves over and over again, and then going through this whole process where you're like, okay, what's the emotion I'm experiencing? What's the stuck point that I'm telling myself? And then literally going through these questions of what is the evidence for this? What's the evidence against this? Is this coming from a dependable source? Is this using all of the information available to me? Is this leaving or is this fixating on unimportant or unnecessary or details? Is this something that is um, coming from emotion or is it coming from fact? Is this a habit or is this actually happening? Right. And really asking yourself these questions and then offering yourself at the end of this sort of process, what's an alternative thought to this? Um, because this thing, we've just proven that this thing isn't true. So what's something else that we can think instead of this stuck point where, ooh, if I don't pay enough attention to the details, bad things will happen. Or I need to hold all this by myself. Other people can't handle it. Um, And I think it would be, I think that these are really important in trauma. And please don't just do this. (laughs) Like, please go to somebody who's like trained in this because I am not, I've only experienced it. And so if you are experiencing PTSD, like please find a therapist that has experience in trauma um, to help work through some of that stuff. But it's interesting to think about how this could also apply to relationships or to breakups um, or some of these places where like maybe we haven't experienced like a a capital T trauma, but we've gone through something that has sort of told us a story about ourselves or about the world that isn't necessarily true. And that is like keeping us from healing because we're repeating the same Right. Not right. And I say not right, not to right. mean like not, but like incorrect, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Things to ourselves, things that aren't true to ourselves right. over and over again. Right. Well, when you told me about this, I I thought of two things. One, I thought about my own stuck points of like a personal experience that probably for the first time ever, I'm not <laughs> going to share. <laughs> um, but just like 
stuck points that are very literal, you know, like moments in time in which you went left instead of right. And mm. also stuck points that are like ideological, like I should have seen that coming. I wasn't paying attention enough. I was mm -hmm. being selfish or whatever. Um, so, so I thought, I thought about my own stuck point in something I'm processing right now, which was a literal decision. It was like a, it was a left or right decision. And I feel I kept going back in the middle of the night. I kept thinking, well, what if I just made a different decision and this would all be different. And I also thought about, like you said, applying this to interpersonal relationships, breakups, regrets, and thinking like, well, what's the stuck point that's making that, that I keep rubbing myself up against, mm -hmm. um, that's not allowing me to move on, you know, like For what, sure. what brick wall am I pushing against right now? And maybe if I just like let go of the brick wall, I'll notice that I can just walk around it instead of pushing, trying to push it over, you know? For sure. Um, for me, a stuck point, like ideologically would be, oh, well, I was, I was being too needy and, I needed and needed and needed. And then that one point I just asked for too much and they, and they broke up with me or whatever, you know, mm. just thinking about thinking about the moments that we fixate on in heartbreak or trauma or little T trauma or hardships uh, and how we, yeah, we push up against them, hope wishing that they were different instead of, instead of sort of like processing through those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the reality of the stuck points is that there are our brain's response to trauma to keep us from feeling the bad feelings, right? They're, if they are yeah. the shortcut that we take to say, that was really scary, that was really sad, that made me really mad, and I can't do that. I, that's too big for me to handle. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these thought processes in place that are going to help keep us safe. So I should have gone left instead of right. Now, next time I'll know, always go left, always go left, always go left, because that's the only safe place, right? That's that's keeping me safe. Yeah. Or the idea of like, I asked for too much, I asked for too much, I asked for too much. Cool. Asking for too much is in my control. I can decide whether or not I asked too much. What's not in my control yes. is the idea that we were incompatible. What's not in my control was that this person wasn't enough for me. What's not in my control is that we is that we just didn't like each other, right? Like that's... So our brain tells us these things that help put the locus of control in us so that we don't have to process through the big, scary reality of the fact that all of this shit is so often outside of our control. We have control over our reactions, our responses, and, and things that can help keep us safe, but we do not have control over all of the shit outside of that, right? Like, and that's really scary, especially when something horrible has happened to us or we've just gone through a breakup or... Our ex is, you know, on our Instagram, whatever it is that's sort of causing us to feel like, oh, things are outside of my control. It can it can be deceivingly simple to say, oh, and here's what I'll do. Here's how I'll keep that from happening. As opposed to saying, yeah, sometimes bad shit happens and I have to figure out how I can build my capacity to experience big emotions rather than trying to avoid them by, by building right. up these like walls that seem like they're protecting me, but are actually sort of keeping me stuck in this particular moment. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks for explaining all of that. I think it's like, again, like Sam said, if you're experiencing PTSD, if you, if it is within your means, like we always, always, always want you all to find an actual trained professional. Um, and also we know that, you know, especially for me in my life, like if I find 
a new language to describe a human experience um, that gives me new tools, new perspectives. Um, it helps me move through something. It helps me shift my perspective on that brick wall. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Sam. I think that it will help a lot of people out and hopefully send some people to um, seek this type of specific treatment. For sure. Absolutely. All right, everyone, let's get into our first letter. So this letter comes from Positively Toxic, whose pronouns are she, her, and who's writing from a barrel of sludge that says, you're doing great, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) That is hysterical. Dear Sam and Sierra, Spencer, Peter, Willow, and Temple, (laughs) which is a lot of people. Um, I'm so offended that you would leave our pets off of that list. Um, Just kidding. Hi, y'all. I am an almost 24-year-old woman, she, her. I have a fiancé, 24, he, him, but we are a good, true love, and honestly, I couldn't be happier. That is the heart of my whole issue because I think I am a bit too happy about life right now. I just started a full-time job as a paramedic, and guys, I am loving it. I get to do cool cowboy shit every day, and and it makes my heart so happy. I don't use social media anymore, so I've stopped comparing myself to other people, and my satisfaction with life is through the roof. I'm in in an excellent relationship with primo communication and tons of love. I have a beautiful cat son who I love deeply and who tolerates my cuddles so well. The point is, I am turning into the worst person to complain to. I'm so charmed with life that small issues just bounce off me. I am literally giving my life... I'm literally living the life that my 15-year-old self didn't think she would survive to see. The growth I've done in the last decade or so honestly kind of scares me. What if I just keep getting better and better? Could I like (laughs) take over the world like in a cool way? Okay, off topic, but I am definitely living life with rose-colored glasses. So when people come to me with their anxieties and troubles, I'm not a great person to talk to. I'm in a haze of good feelings, and I feel myself being less empathetic to other people's struggles. I don't want to be a sad girl again, but it was so easy to commiserate with others when I was. Another part of my issue that has been around forever, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm definitely better than I used to be, but venting sessions with friends or family always fire up that panicked voice in my head that says, fix it for them right now or they're leaving you. Screw you, anxious attachment. Why is it always this shit with you? I have a terrible habit of offering advice before asking the venter if they even wanted advice in the first place. This habit got me into trouble in past relationships, so I've been working on it, but old habits die hard. When my mom complains about my dad, I have to struggle not to say, girl, leave his dumb ass. That's not (laughs) appropriate, but I really do want to help. On top of that, my job means that I'm exposed to a lot of people in terrible situations. When someone is talking about day-to-day issues, I have a hard time holding back my urge to do the it-could-be-worse stance. Like, yes, technically people are having worse days, but after a friend of mine was complaining about work and I said, well, you could be a homeless double amputee, I realized that I'm wholeheartedly being an asshole to people I love. I don't want to be the toxic positivity goblin that's always telling people how bad others have it. I want to validate people's feelings and offer support without telling them how to run their lives. I want to be empathetic to other people's struggles, but not in a way that puts me in a dark place. I am genuinely working on this, but if you had any musings on how to be more understanding, I would so appreciate it. I love you both so much. Heart, toxic positivity. Oh, my darling, thank you so much for listening and for trusting us with this letter. Um, First of all, congratulations on all your happiness. I am genuinely happy for you, even though I heard the flutter of a thousand eye rolls, you know, of our Just Breakup listeners like, ah, man, 
somebody's so charmed with life, which is just what happens when we're <laughs> when we're going through a hard time, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am very happy for your happiness. I'm so glad you are happy with your fiance and your career. Um, and I'm proud of you for all the growth that you've done. I like this energy. Keep it up. Um, and I think this question is a really great one because in... I think at its core, this question is about A, being a better person and B, about accepting more of life's realities, like the complexity and nuance of life, um, which is, you know, as y'all know, is like my jam. Um, Something I learned in therapy 3,000 years ago. um, Oh, wow. When... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was struggling um, to prioritize my own wellness or like my own struggles because I kept putting them in context of other people who I felt objectively had it worse than I did. Mm. And I know I've said this metaphor before on the show, but just I think it bears repeating for this conversation. Um, The therapist at the time described what she called... um, a well of resiliency that we all have will within us. Um, it's the idea that all of us have a well within us of different varying sizes and different varying amounts of resiliency within us. Um, it's the fact that somebody might have more developed more resiliency throughout their life because of their lived experiences and other people might not have, or maybe they have the same lived experiences, but they have more or less resiliency. The example my therapist gave that I'll never forget is that, you know, two people can get into exact identical car accidents, right? And one person can get up, you know, they they are physically safe and they go to work directly from the car accident um, because they're like, man, that sucked, but I just got to go to work and I, this is, this is just another Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other person in the same exact car accident develops PTSD and doesn't, can't, can't drive a car for six years because um, their well of resiliency is different than another. So this is all to say that like, regardless of um, lived circumstance, regardless of experience, regardless of um, a million different ways we can hold up and compare each other's struggles, we cannot know what someone's well of resiliency is. You know, Mm. we can't really know what they're capable of processing. And one easy stress to you might be very, very hard to another person. You know, I I think about something that I hear in the um, mental health world conversation about like, uh, you know, when somebody says, I had a really hard time getting out of bed today. I'm going to give myself credit for folding my laundry or brushing my teeth. And I always think that there must be people out there saying who have never experienced that sort of debilitating depression and think like, oh, you can't just get up and brush your teeth and you want to celebrate that, you know? For sure. It, it's it's not going to serve anyone. It's not serving any community by, by forcing people to exist on the same um, metrics of hardship Um, In terms of resiliency, we can obviously look at privilege as something that we can quantify, right? Mm -hmm. We can obviously say, wow, that double amputee homeless um, vet, like that person has these check marks of 
of hardship, right? And that your friend had these check marks of privilege. And yes, we can position them somewhere on the map in terms of being like more privileged and less privileged, mm-hmm. but we can't expect them to exist on the same plane of resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. Is that frustrating sometimes? Yeah. Is that, does it make people more or less relatable to you? Absolutely. Like, because at the end of the day, we always see the world through our own lens of experience. um, And that's going to come out (laughs) no matter Mm. how much we try to be considerate of the others. um, I, I think that that's like a, a really hard standard to put yourself to is to be like, no, I have to be a hundred percent considerate of all other people's experience and all other people's wells of resiliency. And I have to like be aware of that at all times whatsoever. That's not true. You can definitely in the back of your mind be like, well, this is a really privileged statement or your hardships are nothing in comparison to the hardships that I had to deal with at work today. But that's not your question. Your question is, how can I be a better friend? How can I tap into a deeper, better understanding of my empathy? Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I also think that when I was a kid, whenever I had an issue, my mom would say it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. So like, I deeply understand this impulse to say like, stop complaining because it could be worse, right? There are people who are experiencing homelessness. There are people who are experiencing um, hunger, right? And you're complaining about the fact that you didn't get your candles at Bath, or Bath and Body Works or whatever, right? Like that is a really real impulse. And I want to say that like the reality of other people's suffering doesn't negate your own, right? Like that it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to, or that you shouldn't feel any sort of um, frustration or sadness or issue just because somebody else is going through something that may or may not be objectively worse than you. And that mentality, um, is actually really harmful to ourselves, right? Because it, you know, like you're an EMT person, right? Like you're probably seeing a lot of things that are, that are maybe impacting you in really intense ways. And if you're telling yourself like, oh, well, it didn't happen to me. So I can't feel bad about it. Right. That that's going to set you up on a path and not just of like, not good things for you mentally, but it's also going to set you up on a path towards burnout, right? Like, cause you're going to have to keep seeing these things over and over again. And if you're telling yourself, well, like, oh, but that person had it worse or ah, at least I'm not doing this thing, right? Then that that's creating a, a place where you don't have anywhere to put all of the the harm and the, the vicarious trauma that you're experiencing because you're just saying, oop, that doesn't matter. So I'm just going to shove it back in right. there. Um, and so I want you to, I want you to develop this sort of capacity to to understand the the realities of this complicated reality, <laughs> this complicated world that we live in, <laughs> so that you can also better process what's happening to you. You can fucking love your job and also be traumatized by it, right? Like both of those things can be true at the same time. And I want you to recognize both of those things so that you can say, I absolutely love my job and also, right? I'm working with folks who are experiencing a whole lot of crisis and that's really hard, right? That's really emotionally challenging for me. And both of those things can be true at the same time. We don't have to have our experience of 
struggle doesn't negate our experience of happiness. They can exist at the same time. We can be happy and struggling, <laughs> right? Like we can right. be having a good time and loving the work that we do and also really feel like, oh, this is difficult. This is challenging. This is this is stuff I need to work through and process through. So I want to offer you that as well, not just to say like, here's how to be more empathetic to your friends, but also like, here, how can you be more empathetic to yourself in this as well and acknowledge some of the the multitudes that you're experiencing even if you want to focus on being happy, great. I love that. Love that you're drawn to that positivity. And you don't have to, it doesn't negate it to also talk about the things that are happening in your life or in other people's lives. I think that's so smart because you're so right. This is the more sustainable point of view too, because this golden era of your life, oh my God, awesome. I totally want you to take over <clears throat> the world in not a creepy way. Um, and also... As we know here at Just Break Up, the universe like hits you in the face when you are not expecting it, right? Life is suffering, thanks Buddha. Um, and that this is a, hardship is gonna be a part of your life. And in the future, are you gonna be able to make space for your hardships and your struggles if they don't look like what you see every day as an EMT or right. what you hear your friends say, you know, right. this is, this is about sustainability, you know, and, and wellness for yourself as well as others. For sure. Absolutely. So I also just wanted to talk a little bit about empathy. Um, and I'm like pulling this directly from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. So shout out to Brene Brown. We love you. So there's, there's a whole chapter where she talks about sort of empathy, sympathy, compassion, pity, right? Like these feelings that we might express towards other people or what we might see when other people are going through something. And um, it's a great chapter that sort of delineates the different things about that. But one of the things that she talks about is that often we conflate empathy with taking on other people's emotions, right? And it sounds like you're a people pleaser and that's sort of how you've been trained, right? Is if other people are going through something, it's your job to make them feel better, to fix the thing, right? To take on whatever they're feeling. Um, I've got a book for you. It's called Emotionally, if, uh, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Uh, check it out, see if it resonates. Um <laughs> You know, it's so cute. The other day in our Facebook group, somebody posted that it was on sale on Amazon. <laughs> it was so cute. Was so Now's cute. the time, people. Now's the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and so one of the things that she talks about in this is that there's actually sort of a different, different types of empathy that we can experience with folks. And I'm literally going to look at my book and read this. Um, there's cognitive empathy and effective empathy, right? Where cognitive empathy, which is sometimes called perspective taking or mentalizing, is the ability to recognize and understand other people's emotions. And affective empathy, called experience sharing, is about one's own emotional attunement with another person's emotional experience. And she says that actually... Mm -hmm the most effective way to sort of navigate situations like the ones where you're talking about is bringing in compassion, which is this understanding that we're all humans having an experience in this world and that we come with a rich level of emotion, experience, um, understanding, and this sort of cognitive empathy. I can understand what you're going through. I don't necessarily need to feel it. And that's like a really mm. tricky thing. It's really tricky for me, <laughs> let me tell you, as somebody who's been trained really intensively to really take on other people's emotions, which makes me deeply afraid of other people and their emotions. Um, 
But it is possible for us to have conversations with folks who are going through something difficult and understand and see and affirm those emotions without also needing to experience those emotions with them. And I I sometimes have a uh, trouble doing this and it sounds like you do as well. And so like sometimes I avoid conversations with folks who I know are going through something because I don't want to have to take on the emotional stuff that they are that they're going through. But actually what is most effective is going into that conversation and saying, "Great, it's not my job to feel this person's feelings." It's mm-hmm. not my job to mm-hmm. sympathize with them, right? Where I put myself in their shoes and I say, oh my God, I can't imagine how this experience would feel for me. But instead say, yeah, that emotion that you're feeling, I believe it. I can under totally understand what, what you are going through. What I'm hearing you say right. is that it's re- this is really frustrating for you for these reasons. And I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that you're going through that. What do you need from me? Right? Like... That is all perfectly possible to do without diminishing your own joy, <laughs> right? right? Right. You don't have to say, um, you don't have to say, right? Like, stay away from me with that bad energy because I'm over here in my like sunny place and I don't want those dark storm clouds to come through. You can say, it's really sunny over here. I see that it's raining over there. I'm so sorry. Is there something I can do? Can I offer you an umbrella? Can I can I help you build a shelter? What do you need to get out of the rain? While also still saying, and I'm going to stay here where it's sunny, right? Because this is really working for me. You don't have to get into the trenches with people and feel what they're feeling to be effective, to be helpful, to be compassionate to them. That is, it is perfectly possible to navigate those those spaces without having to be sad yourself. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, because you wrote it in your letter, it's not that it's it won't be effective for both making them more grateful and making them acknowledge their privilege for you to be like, well, there's a hurricane <laughs> four feet left of you. Thank God you're not in that hurricane right now. Yep. Um, I think that there is a there is a time and a place for a gentle um well, fuck, it doesn't have to be gentle, but there is a time and a place for a conversation about um, intersecting identities and privilege and and gratitude and perspective. But that's I, it's never going to be effective in the moment when someone comes to you in a moment of friendship, kinship, sadness and says, I'm struggling. That's not the time for them to be like, oh, and I shouldn't be struggling because other people have it worse. Yep. And you know this. And it, it it assumes that our capacity for compassion and empathy is somehow limited or should be limited, right? And or linear, you know, or like uh like yes. um you know, you can only be compassionate for people who have it way worse than you or, yep. or whatever. Absolutely, which is not true. We have an abundance of compassion and empathy available to us if we can use it well. I have compassion for the folks who are experiencing homelessness that you're talking about. I also have deep compassion for my friends who have houses who are going through a breakup, right? I like I have compassion for yeah. folks who um, stubbed their toe, right? Like it's perfectly possible for me to have compassion for other folks, for all of these different folks, while also politically and intentionally advocating for more resources for the folks who need those more resources, right? right? Like there's a difference between our ability to feel compassion for folks and also our ability to, um, to keep 
keep perspective around how we want to act and behave given those things, right? Like, yeah, it's perfectly possible for us to acknowledge privilege and say, hey, we need to do things to rectify this shitty situation that we are intentionally in. And also say, I still have compassion for folks who have privilege because I don't know what their lives are like. And I can imagine that there are things in it that are hard, right? Like I can imagine right. that that losing a parent for that person would be really difficult, even though they have a big house and a pool yeah. and all of those things, right? Like right. all of Sounds that like stuff. Sounds like their well of resiliency is being tapped right now. Absolutely. You don't know how Absolutely. deep it is, but it sounds like it's being really challenged. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we've all seen people weaponize their own their own sort of trials or hardships as a way to not acknowledge their privilege. But that's also not what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about how do you have compassion and empathy for friends of yours who are honestly going through things, who share your values, who are on your same team with you, while also saying, and how am I protecting my tender heart which is saying, I'm really happy right now and I don't want to lose that joy. And I want to say to you that 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 is perfectly possible to do. Doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't mean that it you're that you're somehow not doing it right, but you can understand and see and hear and believe the stories of the folks that are coming to you with their problems while also rece- believing your own experience of the joy that you have in your life right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my darling, we hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karakul jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. 
That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right, our next letter comes to us from almost sane new girlfriend whose pronouns are she, her who is writing to us from a plane sitting next to a man who smells like vinegar. Um, This letter is very long, so I'm going to paraphrase it to the best of my ability. So here we go. Uh, Basically, the letter writer um, says uh, that all the people in this story are cis and straight, by the way, except for my dog, because I can't really speak for him on this matter. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. (laughs) Only part I'm going to read verbatim, (laughs) except for one other part about the dog. so basically, last summer, um, her her now boyfriend, she didn't know him yet, was dating this woman, we'll call her Rebecca. Um, and they weren't really dating. They were friends with benefits. He wasn't looking for anything serious, and they, he didn't want a relationship, and he was explicit about that. Um, so they were friends with benefits for the summer, and Rebecca... Um, Agreed to the situation, but was obviously looking for something more serious, boyfriend, husband sort of thing, wanted to start a family. For context, the the boyfriend and Rebecca are in their mid-30s, and the letter writer is in their late 20s. Um, so it ended up to be sort of like an unrequited thing, but like we're having mm-hmm. fun while it lasts mm-hmm. over the summer. And then the boyfriend decided to end it because he was like... Um, you know, he didn't want the same things and he wanted Rebecca to be able to go find happiness elsewhere, right? Sure. Um, that, uh, around the same time that they that they stopped sleeping together, um, Rebecca, like, went through some, like, medical hardships and the letter writer says that she didn't really have a strong support system or family ties. So she ended up, like, in that transition time from friends to benefits to friends. Um, They won. They decided they wanted to remain friends because Rebecca felt like they had, quote, such a strong connection. Mm. And two... Um, you know, the boyfriend kind of like felt bad and felt like Rebecca was really going through a hard time, was really isolated. And so he kind of helped her through some medical issues or what, whatnot. Um, we don't know the specifics on them, but like, you know, their separation as friends with benefits was sort of not elongated because of these medical issues, but, beca- you know, like they, mm-hmm. they were a little more entangled, right? Sure. 
on the emotional side of things. So then fall comes around. She meets the letter writer, meets her boyfriend. Things go so well. Amazing first date, really good feeling. Um, And the letter writer says that this is the happiest relationship I've ever had. They, they constantly tell themselves to take it slow because we're so in love. Um, He tells her every day they plan on moving in together. Um, You know, just going really, really well. Um, And, her boyfriend told her about Rebecca right away and asked if he was if we were okay if they were okay with being friends still. Mm-hmm. Um, and the letter writer was basically like, "Yep, honestly, I felt sorry for her because um, uh, I'm not really a jealous person, and I have many of like close male friends, and he has other close female friends. Um, and honestly, she's been in this situation, right? So it's like she totally humanized Rebecca and was like, "This makes sense." Um, so uh, after dating a couple of weeks, the boyfriend had a conversation with Rebecca um, and Rebecca was like, are you dating? You know, how's dating going to the boyfriend? And he was like, actually, I have found, quote, the one. And the letter, writes, letter writer writes me <laughs> um, and <laughs> and that he wasn't like dating around any longer. And uh, Rebecca was like really surprised. He'd been she had been under the impression that he didn't want to settle down yet. And the letter writer writes, when he started to explain about us, she interrupted and asked him not to talk about his romantic life with her ever again because it was causing her pain. And then the letter writer says, which is very understandable, right? Yeah. Like if you have an unrequited situation, you don't want to hear about their happiness. Mm -hmm. So um, the boyfriend was like, cool, totally get it. And then so he went on over the next couple months to talk about his life experience, but just sort of like leave the girlfriend out. Like if they went hiking or if they had plans, he would make it sound as though he went he went alone or with his male friends or just the sort the typical like avoiding the details sort of thing. For sure. Um, Been there. <laughs> re- yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Rebecca frequently asked the boyfriend to like meet up and hang out and do very like date stuff like fancy restaurant dinners or spa days. And the boyfriend always said that he already had plans, which he did usually with his girlfriend, the letter writer. <laughs> right. um, he felt like this would be inappropriate and give out the wrong idea. Um, and... <sighs> But she she went on to, like, Rebecca's texting him daily, sending him voice memos, um... And the whole time the letter writer's like, I get it. I've been in Rebecca's shoes. One-sided love sucks. So I'm trying to cut her some slack. And the boyfriend like feels kind of bad because she doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't have a relationship with her family. And obviously like, I mean, the boyfriend was described as a golden retriever at some point. So I think he just like (laughs) feels bad about hurting her, you know. Sure. But, you know, the boundaries keep on getting like a little hazier. Like she went on holiday all by herself to get her out of get herself out of depression, as she said. And during this trip, she called the boyfriend every single night, said she was feeling uncomfortable having dinner by herself. So she video called him from the restaurant. He didn't answer the first time because they were together, but he did the next time. Um, And, you know, fast forward a couple more weeks and the boyfriend are the boyfriend and the letter writer are super serious. They've met families. They've exchanged keys. You know, they're talking about moving in together. Um, and basically Rebecca and the boyfriend get together over lunch at some point. And Rebecca's like, basically like has a try at it and says like, you know what, since you're single and I'm single and our date and, you know, neither of us are finding anybody really good. Would you be interested? Like, let's give it another try. Why not like 
be together again. And the boyfriend was like, whoa, 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 I'm not single. Um, <laughs> I have a girlfriend and like reminded her of the situation. And Rebecca was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Basically insisted that he was lying, said that, that he always said that he was hanging out with his buddies. Um, and why would he do all this stuff if he was in a serious relationship and why would he keep her shampoo at his house? And mm. why would he go on quote dates with her? Um, and how come he had never mentioned me, the letter writer? Um, and so the boyfriend tried to set things straight. Yeah. Um, was basically like, yeah, you told me not to talk about her. <laughs> um, but her Rebecca's, after all of this, Rebecca's behaviors haven't changed at all. In fact, it's, it's probably gotten worse. Still lots of calling, texting, um, and she, you know, here's the thing. The letter writer also makes sure to point out that she knows all of this details because her boyfriend always comes home and like recaps all of their conversations for her because mm. she thinks that he wants to be fully transparent, which is like, I definitely appreciate because this would be like a really anxiety inducing relationship for me. We'll get to it. I don't know about you, but we'll get to it later. But, um, okay, so Rebecca's behavior escalates. She starts, you know, like, questioning why boyfriend is with the letter writer, like, calls her a bimbo, finds out what her job is, and is like, she's out to get you for money or whatever. And around this time, the letter writer starts getting a ton of hate on Instagram from burner accounts and... They're mostly like slut shaming and body shaming. And once, quote, my dog was even called ugly. How dare you? Oh, <laughs> what's the dog done? Um, and she <laughs> points out like, I know exactly. It points out that she's like not an influencer. Her account is small and her followers are all people she knows. Um, and it never used to happen to her. And now it's happening at least once a week. And she'll block an account and another one will be created. And the really, really problematic part is that like she started to threat like threaten these comments have started to threaten her job like they'll be like directly about her work it'll say like wonder what your boss would think about this bikini picture like maybe should someone should send it to quote the, the insert the person hr's name you know oh like exact God. specifics about this letter writer's job um you look like a whore you know really threatening and trolling things it's a lot more personal than just like a random troll and the letter writer's like, also, like, I post bikini pictures, but, like, I, if my boss saw them, that would be fine. But I like to keep my personal and private life or my personal and professional life separate. For sure. And she said, I'm 99% sure Rebecca is behind all of these profiles because they are in alignment with her learning about uh, the letter writer and learning things about her. She calls her a gold digger, you know, and and she calls her a gold digger in, in a picture on a comment, but like also conveniently that week had told her boyfriend that she thinks she, um, the letter writer's just out for his money or something like that. So we think it's Rebecca. I would argue that it's Rebecca. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> continues to cross the line. On top of this, Instagram commenting asked if she could like stay at the boyfriend's house for a week for like a inconsistent reason. And she bought him a kitten unrequested and unwanted like the boyfriend ended up being like I don't want this and she was upset about this but she was like it reminded me of you um, and she sent him photos of her in sexy lingerie and outfits allegedly wanting his quote male opinion um, because she's going on dates but the no dates never seem to happen so the 
boyfriend said, you know, basically the letter is like, I don't want to be judgy or jump to conclusions, but I'm pretty sure all of this is her. And I haven't brought it up to my boyfriend because I literally have no proof. I did tell him that Rebecca seemed troubled and I definitely vetoed against her crashing at his place. But now that I'm writing it down, I wonder, I wonder whether or not that was too harsh. Um, I've made such a big point about not being jealous that I feel like a hypocrite when I've asked him to quit contact with her, which by this point is what I truly want. I'm so sick of this ex-girlfriend stuff. My boyfriend still feels guilty about breaking up with her slash leading her on and all the bad luck she's had. He's always quick to defend her. Whenever I'm like, can't she find another friend when she's sad? Or don't you think it's weird that she randomly buys a cat for you? She He just tells me that she's sensitive slash in a bad place. And I'm asking you, is it too much to ask my boyfriend to quit contact with Rebecca? Couple other things to note before we get to our answer. One, um, Rebecca has never met the letter writer, but a couple times they have like seen each other at the same restaurant. Um, and uh, the letter writer feels like she's staring at her um, and she only recognizes her from social media. Um, and also, uh, sh- sh- the letter writer repeats in this letter often, like, I'm really trying not to be jealous. I'm trying to be cool and understanding of this woman's experience. Um, But none of this feels like it's in the realm of normal. Um, And I don't know what to do, basically. Did I summarize that well? You did a great job. (laughs) Sorry, I know I was long-winded, but the letter was like three pages long (laughs) with a ton of juicy details. There was a lot of juicy details. There was a lot in it where I was like, oh my God, this too? Okay. A kitten? (laughs) The kitten. When I got to the kitten, I was like, what is literally what is happening? (laughs) Yeah, listen. Any Just Break Up listeners out there, if you have an urge to buy your ex a kitten, just bring it to my house instead. Yeah. Uh, don't actually do that, people. (laughs) (laughs) Don't actually, please don't just show up on on announced at Sears job. um, Fatal attraction vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, what do you, where do we start, Sam? Help me out with this. Um, I guess I'll just start out by saying, um, I'm really sorry that, that you are experiencing this. Um, from what you've told me, Rebecca's behavior is really inappropriate, at least to me. Um, in lots of different ways. Don't just give someone a kitten. Uh, that's poor animal stewardship. Um, like, <laughs> uh, so like, I'm sorry that this is all happening and I'm sorry that you are being made to feel like you're disconnecting from reality, right? Like the, the tactics that it seems like this person is using seem intentional to make you feel like you have no proof that this stuff is actually happening. Right. Um, and I can't imagine who this person would be besides Rebecca. I'm also not in your life. Like this person that is posting all this shit on your Instagram. I'm also not in your life. So I don't know what other enemies you may have (laughs) available to you. But from what you've told me, it sounds like this person is Rebecca. Um, And the way that she's going about this is, is intentional, right? It's like, it's trying to make you feel like you are under threat in a way that doesn't implicate her in any way. Um, so like all that to say, like, I'm just sorry that you're going through this and, and I, I wish that she was handling her shit better. Um, and that she wasn't sort of taking on whatever she's feeling about your partner on you because it has nothing to do with you. Um, you didn't steal her from him. Nope. You didn't steal him from her. Um, he sounds like he acted well in that relationship. Um, 
and has created distance between him and her in some ways. Um, but you're not asking for this and you don't deserve any of this is I guess the the long and short of what I was trying to say. Yeah. And I want to say again, we don't know if this is Rebecca and I'm not here to like villainize a random woman. I don't know because well, well, I'm not because we all do. We all lash out when we feel really insecure. And sometimes that lashing out is like, really unflattering, you know, really uh, an unattractive part of ourselves, right? Yep. I'm not here to judge that woman. And I'm also here to say like that inappropriate, that behavior is really inappropriate if it is her. And I want to say like, I have a large um, Instagram following or like a larger than your average person. And um, I have never received comments like this. <laughs> I've oh, never received these aren't this is not like a robot. <laughs> this is a this is somebody who knows you specifically because like, yep. I don't know. Um, other than like weird troll campaigns on like major celebrities or people on the internet who, right. you know, dare to speak out about things like this is personal to me. So mm -hmm. I just want to be like, I just want to, I want to give you permission to not gaslight yourself and say like, this is not normal internet behavior just from a random robot or a troll who doesn't know you. Right. Somebody is researching your job um, and trying to attack you personally, which honestly makes me a little nervous. Like there's a lot in this letter that I want to like roll my eyes at or, you know, like the kitten or whatever. But but some of Rebecca's behavior, assuming the Instagram, this is all, we're all assuming that the Instagram comments are from her. Yep. So that's where this advice is coming from. And if we're wrong, then just like skip through this letter. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, her commenting about your job and also like, oh, I forgot to say in the letter, the letter writer specified that the boyfriend swears he never said exactly where Rebecca worked. He just told, no, excuse me, where his girlfriend worked, the letter writer. He just told Rebecca that she was a blank, insert profession. Um, mm. And, and but, but the comments talk about a specific HR person, a specific place to work, you know? So like, this is a little, um, this is, this is, this is walking into the stalking territory for me, um, mm. the obsessive behavior um, about like for weeks commenting on your stuff. So like, yeah, it makes me a little nervous and I have compassion for Rebecca and the hurt that she's experiencing. And also I think it's time for your boyfriend to have some accountability to the safety and the boundaries in his life. Um, I totally understand that relationships are complicated, that guilt is a really, really heavy um, hand when it comes to making our decisions. Me, listen, I would say friends with my exes for my entire life if it wasn't for Sam Blackwell, <laughs> um, because I would feel so bad about breaking up with them. You know what I mean? I would just be like, just kidding. You can all have one piece of me for the rest of your life. Um, or my life. And you're doing a lot of work in your letter to be like, I'm cool. I understand. I'm compassionate for this person. I'm not jealous. I'm not the jealous girlfriend. I am the mostly sane new girlfriend. Guess what? This would make anybody crazy. And I use that word intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, but like, this would make anybody feel insecure. This would make anyone feel anxious or jealous. Like you're not feeling jealous in an irrational way. You're feeling threatened. Right because these are threatening acts, right? Yep. And I don't mean that in a like 
uh, toxic monogamous way. Your boyfriend is not your property. She's not like trying to steal something from you in that sort of threatening way. But there is this ominous feeling to all of this to me Mm -hmm. in which I'm thinking that her relationship with your boyfriend and your boy and let's bring him into it. Your boyfriend's relationship with Rebecca is not healthy for either of them and their surrounding community, including you. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a big difference between not being jealous and being like the behavior that this person is doing is not appropriate and I don't like it. Um, Right. Like, and I think that there's sort of that, the thing that we often do, which is like try to put this like one size fits all solution onto everything and say like, yeah, the hard and fast rule is that I'm chill, right? Like the hard and fast rule is that I'm never jealous of anyone, right? And and what we need to do is to recognize that like everything is dependent on context and in the situation and time that it exists, right? Like you can be a not jealous person and still look at this and be like, this behavior is inappropriate and I don't like that, that this is happening. You can have other friends who are girls. They can stay at your apartment. They can send you pictures, all of this stuff. But with this person who's expressed to you that she wants to get back together with you, who's done things that are sort of are like pretty inappropriate. Who speaks about you in a disrespectful way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Who talks about how you're not sophisticated or a bimbo, like all of those different things. Like it's okay to say not this person though, right? Like it's okay to say this person because of these different things that are making me really uncomfortable. And so like what you all as a couple need to figure out is where are the lines of appropriate and inappropriate in in your relationship? That doesn't make you a jealous person, right? That doesn't mean that you're being irrational. It means that you two have to decide what is okay and what's not okay. I mean, it's one thing for somebody to send somebody pictures of them in swimwear or in lingerie and say, how does this look on me? Right? Cool. That's an innocuous thing that, that we can be okay with. It's a very different thing when that person sends those pictures and also has called you unsophisticated and also is maybe trolling your Instagram and also brought your boyfriend a cat and also told him that they should date and also has been saying these these shits about like the shit about you right like right. it's dependent on all of this context so it's funny to me that you were like i feel i feel like maybe i was too harsh when i told him that she couldn't stay at his house for a week and i oh, was yeah, like no. no 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 you were not too harsh you were, that was like that was an okay thing enough. to do yeah right and like it's not ha- boundaries are not harsh absolutely people might feel as though your boundaries are ha- harsh but your you enacting that or requesting of your boyfriend was not harsh. It was honestly very realistic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that one of the ways that you can approach this conversation with your boyfriend is to say exactly this, right? To talk about, I want you to know that I am not a jealous person, that I'm really glad that you have lots of friends who are women, that I'm really glad that I have lots of friends that are men and that we exist in this relationship where we trust each other deeply. And this person's behavior towards you and towards me feels really inappropriate to me. So I'm asking Mm. you, what sort of boundaries are we going to have in place with this woman? Because she's impacting the health of our relationship right now, right? And and again, not to say this person's crazy, right? Not to say you can't date other people or you can't be around other people, right? That's not what's happening here. What you're saying is here's some stuff that's going on that I've seen that makes me really uncomfortable and makes me feel like the, 
not even that the strength of our relationship is being questioned because it sounds like you two are really good for each other, but that is making me deeply uncomfortable uh, with what's going on here. So what are what are the boundaries that we as a partnership are going to have in place with this person? And how are we going to make sure that we're still committing to our 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 values of not being jealous, right? Of allowing each other to have autonomy and allowing each other to have friends, right? Like that doesn't get thrown out just because there's this one person that you're agreeing isn't good for us to have in our lives. And it's going to take a conversation that is that sort of holistic to be able to get at some of this stuff. But you have, even if she's not the, and I, I want you to talk to your boyfriend about the Instagram comments as well. And I want you to share your belief that this person is Rebecca, um, because it's not crazy. <laughs> like, and again, like crazy in that, in that pejorative way that we use that word, right? You're not being ridiculous. You're not being irrational about this. Um, and I think that you, you have a good, you have a good instinct in this. And I think that this is the person that's doing it. Um, and I also would recommend that you make your accounts private, <laughs> like, because you don't need this in your, in your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally make your account private. Don't give this person access to you again. Like that is, there's a weird, like it sucks that it's on you, on the victim to isolate their social media expression so that other people don't have access to them. But like, that is also the world that we live in sometimes. Um, I want to talk really briefly before we move on just about ways that you can affirm your boyfriend in making a decision that will inevitably hurt someone's feelings. Guess Mm. what? That's what breaking up is. That's what being in relationship with one another, it is impossible not to hurt each other's feelings. And sometimes drawing that strong, firm and hard line saying like, no, we can't be friends after being friends with benefits because you, our friendship isn't based. The foundation of our friendship isn't based in platonic feelings. It's based in unrequited romantic feelings. So that our foundation will never be strong. Drawing that line is kinder in the long run than than having this sort of all access, attempting to slowly peter off, but definitely not because we've escalated to a kitten sort of vibe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I... I can tell that your boyfriend, if everything you've said is true and that your boyfriend has said all of these things repeatedly to this person, like I'm happy in this relationship, I yada, 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 then he needs to get comfortable with the discomfort of making someone unhappy because that's what's going to, that's what needs to happen here. He has to say, Rebecca, you can no longer send me pictures of you in lingerie or sexy photos. That is not appropriate for our friendship, given the fact that you have unrequited romantic feelings for me. You can Mm -hmm. no longer make disparaging comments about my significant other. We're really happy. And in fact, this is a number one takeaway for me and the boyfriend. In fact, I am not going to censor my life experiences around your discomfort with this relationship. I understand that you are hurt that I moved on, that you wish that we could be something else, but I'm not going to censor my joy. And if that is hard for you, that is a huge glowing flag to me that Rebecca and the boyfriend should take space for away from one another, because this is not a sustainable friendship. This is an unrequited love feeling fest that is just building intention and pain. Right. Um, if you can't handle me talking about my relationship, then, then we're not friends. That's not what friends do. Right. 
and and people can be friends with people who have unrequited feelings for them. But when the those unrequited feelings are coming out in these really unhealthy, unmanageable ways, then it's not sustainable. And I I really appreciate that you and your boyfriend have empathy for Rebecca because she deserves empathy, right? It is hard to feel isolated. It's hard to have somebody who you thought that was going to be your your person move on with somebody else, right? Like all of that pain is really real and really understandable. And we can have empathy and accountability at the same time, right? I understand that you're going through a hard time and it's not okay to enact these things on people, right? Right. I really understand that you're feeling isolated and it's not okay for you to do this work to try and break me up with my girlfriend, right? Like all, both of those things can be true at the same time. And so I want you to keep that empathy in you, even as you're really annoyed and frustrated um, because Rebecca does deserve it. But I also want you to be practicing what what accountability in this moment looks like. Accountability for Rebecca and also accountability for your boyfriend around this as well. Um, how is he enabling this type of behavior with this person? Because it's not serving either of them. Rebecca doesn't need somebody who's going to to get those sexy photos and comment on them. She doesn't need somebody who's going to to let him or let her talk about his girlfriend in disparaging ways. She needs someone who's going to be there fully for her. And that is not your boyfriend in this instance because he's right. choosing actively right. to be with you, which is great. Congratulations. That's awesome. He sounds like a great guy. We love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so keep that empathy with you. And also, because I think it'll also help you with your this conversation with your boyfriend too, because it sounds like he has a lot of yeah. empathy for her as well and doesn't know what to do with that empathy. But also yeah. bringing into this conversation around accountability. Yes, it sounds like she's going through a really hard time and the things that she's doing in, in your relationship and to your relationship are causing harm and that's not okay. Yes, absolutely. All right, my Jarlene, I hope I paraphrased your story well enough and we <laughs> hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. All right, our last letter comes from Bad Human O'Clock, whose pronouns are she, her, who's writing from Yikesville, USA. Sir Spence Salmon Sierra. <laughs> so I, she, her, have been dating my partner, he, him, for upwards of four years now. It's been a wild ride for sure, and we have dealt with a ton of things, from his fidelity at the start of our relationship and my extreme insecurities of being good enough. It's been hard. He has been so sensitive of me and always tries so hard to make me feel like I'm enough. I love him and he is my best friend. Yikesville, USA is where I'm writing from, so let's get into that. 
A few weeks ago, I was out with my friends and had too many drinks for my own good. What that led to was going back with some random man who I didn't know or care about. I was not faithful and I have been unable to sleep and I'm incredibly depressed. I regret everything that happened and I wish I could rewind the clock so it didn't happen. I have hated myself for a long time, but this is a whole new level of hatred. I'm not a good person based on what I did and I know that. I have gotten physically sick over the things that I did and I am having problems moving on. There are a couple of things that I'm terrified about. One is that if I tell him what I did, he could forgive me and we could move forward. Yes, I expect resentment from him, but I still don't know if he won't toss me out like the trash that I am. The other option is to bury this hatred and just live like this for the rest of my life. But what if we keep progressing like nothing happened and I have this cloud hanging over my head for the rest of my life? What if we get married and have kids, my dream come true, and then I think about this and how I have done such horrible things without him knowing till I'm like 90 years old. This is weighing on my heart and I don't know what is the best avenue because I don't want to lose my best friend. I don't know why I did what I did and I do feel like I was taken advantage of because of my drunken state, but if it's still my fault that all this happened. This isn't who I am as a person, but I can't help just defining myself as this horrible, horrible person. I know y'all have talked about cheating a lot before, but this brings me to my question. How do you move forward from not by not defining yourself by your actions? Should I tell my boyfriend what I did? What the fuck is happening? Love you all so much. And even if you straight up ruin me with tough love, I appreciate you for reading this. Most people say that they feel better just writing it out, but somehow I feel even worse. <laughs> oh God. Uh, sincerely, yeah. bad human. All right, bad human. We love you so much. Thank you so much for writing and for trusting us with this letter. Uh, this is hard. This is this is hard. Um, I just want you to know that, you know, cheating is really stigmatized. And like, would I, do I want to be cheated on? No. Do I want to cheat on my partner? Absolutely not. Do I have total compassion and no, I have no judgment on you right now. Like, I don't think that you are a bad person. Um, you've done something that isn't aligned with your morals, but you're not a bad person. And folks in the Just Breakup world listening might disagree with me, but that's just the way I am choosing to view this. Um, and I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing this story. Um, and asking for advice because you are in a tricky place. I think that you you're obviously struggling with what this means about your identity in addition about in addition to what am i going to do with this relationship like what is my what is my next move you know mm-hmm. yeah um and so you know you know your first move right now is to take emotional stock of yourself in the least judgmental way as possible like in retrospect was it worth it or I don't mean that in such like a dragging way, but just like really think like, okay, so this doesn't feel good. Why doesn't it feel good? What, why does this make me feel bad or feel like a bad person? And what is, what can it tell me about myself? Like I said before, maybe this isn't aligned with your morals or maybe you felt feel like you were taken advantage of, or maybe you feel just bad lying and you don't want to carry that with you for the rest of your life or whatever. Like, I guess give yourself a break from feeling like a bad person because you're not, but do take this opportunity to say, what is this discomfort telling me right now? And Mm. what can I learn from it? Is that a weird thing to start with? (laughs) I feel like 
this is what I've learned from infidelity is that we often get so swept up in the guilt and the shame and the anger on both sides of the of the infidelity that we don't sit with the feelings that are underneath all those reactionary feelings. Do you want to be with this person? <laughs> mm. Did you want to be single that night? Do you, is this a way for you to act out um, and, and get out of this relationship in a different way? Do you, are you afraid of the repair? Are you, are you unhappy? Mm-hmm. Are you, or was this just, a, was, was this just a mistake that you truly 100% regret? Um, you know, and on the other side of the aisle, when somebody cheats, like when my ex cheated on me, I wish I stopped and thought like, is this relationship making me happy? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or am I just trying to like salvage through this infidelity to make it worth all this pain worth something, you know, I don't know if that, if I could explain that in a more articulate way, but like, I guess just if you could examine what led you to this moment. I think that that examination can include some questions about whether or not this situation was actually consensual. Um, right. Like you said that you were really drunk. You said that you were taken advantage of. And part of me wonders if some of this immense guilt that you're feeling over this situation is as a trauma response to what happened to you. Right. And, and sort of this idea of like, oh, this is all my fault. I want to, I'm going to take all of this on because then I can prevent it from happening in the future or then it won't be this big, scary thing. And so I, I really, I, again, Sierra and I don't know any of the details of what happened here. Right. Um, you, you know, you just sort of told us that you, you went home with this man and I think it might be helpful as you're doing some of this self-examination around, um, sort of what happened to also do some of this examination around whether or not this experience was traumatic for you. Um, Mm -hmm. and wondering if this, you know, we've, we talked about stuck points at the beginning of this, this session, right. And wondering if this thing around it's all my fault, it's all my fault is a stuck point that's keeping you from sort of acknowledging or sitting in the, the really scary experience of not being in control in this instance of having someone take advantage of that. Um, my experience is that when I have cheated <laughs> on people, um, this guilt isn't this intense, <laughs> right? Like it's more of a thing of like, yeah, I kind of knew what I was getting into. Like I, I put myself in a situation where I knew that I would, would be doing something probably wrong or whatever it is. Um, and the fact that you feel this guilty about it and it felt like it was so deeply out of your control is making me question whether or not, right? Sometimes we feel like things are out of our control and they're not, right? Like, oh, I couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. It was too beautiful, right? Like, okay, sure. Or it was out of my control and I I didn't actually feel like I had any say over whether or not this thing happened. Like those are really different things. And I and I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned for you that that part of this this reaction that you're having is because this experience for you was, was deeply traumatic. And now you are also blaming yourself for this trauma that you have inflicted. Um, so as always, I think that talking to a therapist, if that's available to you can, can help parse out some of this stuff. Um, but I, I just want to make that, I want to make that really explicit because I know that for me, it took me a really long time to name that my sexual assault was not my fault and that I didn't deserve that it happened. Even though I 
right. quote unquote, put myself in a place where it could have happened, right? Even though I invited that person over to my house, even though like all of those different things. And even though you were out, even though you were drinking, even though you may have been flirting with this person, like it doesn't necessarily mean that somehow you asked for this to happen. Right. Exactly. And so what do we do now? You know, what do we do right. in all this really uncomfortable self-reflection wherever you land after examining yourself and the circumstance and the narratives that you're telling yourself? Like, I, I'm not in your relationship. I'm not in your body. I can't tell you because I don't believe morally, um, but I can't tell you whether you should tell your partner or not. I know that like some people have hard and fast rules. Like if you cheat, you're obligated to tell this person. And honestly, something I will say that I've learned from Sam is that I really appreciate is like, if you don't tell your partner, then your partner is in a relationship that they didn't necessarily consent to. Is mm-hmm. that how you would phrase that in the past? Like, yeah. Um, particularly that's particularly applicable in part, you know, in partnerships where somebody has like an ongoing affair. And so then your, your unknowing partner is in an open relationship that they didn't consent to, you know? Yep. Um, so that is something that I, that I lean upon, you know, but I'm not here to tell you morally right or wrong, whether you should tell your partner or not. Mm-hmm. I am here to, to help you shoulder and unpack some of this guilt and shame that you're experiencing. Right. Sam and I had a great conversation before we press record about how oftentimes punishing ourselves, telling ourselves that we're such a bad person, like Sam said, could be a trauma response. And it also can be a response that sort of blurs our own truths from ourselves and others. It can be, I'm such a bad person, so therefore it's your responsibility to t- to prove to me that I'm not. Or I'm such a bad person, I am not therefore accountable to the actions that I've done. Or I'm such a bad person, I'm not going to allow myself to see the reality, which is, you know, I don't know, I, I don't want to be in this relationship in the first place, or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm scared of breaking up, or I'm scared of not breaking up, and this being my life for the rest of time, and I, I constantly think of myself as a bad cheater, liar wife, or whatever. Um, I think this letter is tricky for me, because we're, we're like, we're putting out a bunch of hypotheticals, <laughs> and we're not giving any, we're not like, go tell your boyfriend or break up with your boyfriend or, you know, but it's this, this situation could contain all of this and more all at once. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I'm in this moment, less concerned about how or whether you tell, tell your boyfriend about this. And I'm more concerned about how you are understanding this for yourself what I think needs to happen here in order to process through some of the shame and guilt that you're feeling is that you need somebody to help you on talk about it. Right. Cause right now it feels like it's just like you're, you've got it contained really tight in you. And unfortunately your boyfriend isn't the person to do this with, do this sort of parsing through working through what this experience was for you and why it happened. Um, because he's the person that's going to be most impacted by it. So who are the people in your life, whether that's a therapist or a trusted friend to help you think about and talk through 
what led you to this decision, um, whether or not it was a decision that you made or that was made for you, uh, what sort of story you're telling yourself about this situation, uh, that you're a terrible person, that it's all your fault, that all of this stuff is happening. Um, before I think you're even going to be in a place where telling your boyfriend is going to be healthy for you or for him. Um, and I know that some people out there are going to be like, you should tell him immediately, like all of this stuff. Um, and part of that is true, right? Because we do want to make sure that we're being upfront about things that uh, can be passed amongst people. Um, but I really do... The level of guilt and shame that you're feeling that's coming across in this letter, the level of sort of self-disparagement that is in this, I really think needs to be worked on. And that's my main concern at this moment. Um, and so my my advice for you is to, to put aside the what am I going to tell my boyfriend piece and start spending some more time on what is this situation, mm. this experiencing, telling me about myself what, where are these feelings of shame and guilt coming from? Why are they so big? What's the story I'm telling yeah. myself about this situation? Um, and to do that, and to do that in a way that it's not just you stewing in the dark about this, but in a way that's going to be able to bring it into reality, um, right? Like part of this is also like right sizing the thing that happened. Um, part of it is saying like, yeah, this was a thing that happened one night and you're the story you're telling yourself about it is that it is somehow endemic to who you are as a person, right? Like you have made it into this huge giant thing. And sometimes talking with other people about it in daylight helps us say like, oh, actually this thing is like yay big as opposed to like the size of the moon, right? It's, it's actually something I can hold in my hand and sort of wrap my arms around and not this like massive thing that is so all encompassing that I can't see around it. So what are, what are you doing in this moment to talk to people about this? Talk to someone, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, talk to a loved one to say, this is a thing that I did and I really need someone to help me understand this thing and how it happened and why it happened and what I'm supposed to do about it. Mm. You're making me have like a little epiphany as you talk. Um, Part of me keeps on wanting to tell this letter writer to break up with their boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know why that's like the feeling I get from this. Again, I don't know the ins and outs of this relationship. I just know the details that they shared, which is like rocky start, rocky four years, and now this. Um, and But what you're saying is making me pivot my perspective, perspective away from just this instinct to the idea like, Sort of like what I was saying earlier that how sometimes sometimes our initial big feelings about infidelity blur the actual truths from us. And to me, a mm. big truth that is being revealed that like, well, how about this? In my life, when I was the most unbalanced and the most self-loathing and had the most destructive uh, relationship with myself mm -hmm. is when I was unfaithful in my relationships and unable to be accountable to that behavior. It's when sure. I hated, when I was, not just when I hated myself, but like it was when I had no relationship to myself. I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in tune with myself. I wasn't nurturing myself. I wasn't honoring myself. And therefore all of my decision-making came from this really unstable, unhealthy 
not self-serving, you know, it sounds like cheating sounds like the most selfish thing. And, you know, sometimes it can be interpretive as that, but like, for sure, I really wasn't, I had no, I had such a destructive relationship with myself that therefore all my other relationships became destructive as well. Um, and so I think why I'm like, dump him, <laughs> work on yourself is because the vibe I'm getting from this from that really heavily self-loathing narrative in the letter, like I'm such a bad person. I am a terrible, you know, this doesn't make me feel better. I'm, I, what if I'm broken like this forever is what I'm reading from this letter. Right. Makes me feel as though there is a prior, the, you're prior, prioritizing the actual relationship over the players in the relationship, right? Yeah. You're, prior, you're prioritizing the length of the relationship, the, you know, you want the ship to stay afloat without caring about the fact that the passengers on board have no food, you know, or they're not mm -hmm. happy or they're cannibalizing themselves getting mm -hmm. a little dark there <laughs> because I know now that I'm actually prioritizing a relationship with myself that my relationships are healthier, that I am kinder right. to myself, that I yep. make more sustainable choices that are more in alignment with the life I want to live. You know, um, again, we don't know what happened that night. And I know that there is a question of consent and control and, and whatnot. So I am definitely being, um, I'm answering this in a more zoomed out way um, because I yep. don't know the details. But um, I think that is an important part of, today's conversation just like again i don't i don't know your relationship i don't know the 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 quality of the health you're trying to save but for me right now i read in this letter this this self-loathing that isn't going to go away even if your boyfriend forgives you even mm -hmm. if you bury the right. secret within you right, right? how are you going to come to terms that you are not a bad person you know mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and and like Sierra said, that type of relationship that you have with yourself helps make relationships, um, makes relationships with other people more healthy and sustainable for us, right? Because if if you're in this relationship constantly feeling like you have to make up for or atone or hide the the damaged part of you, the part of you that is bad or whatever word it is that you're using to describe yourself then you're not fully and authentically in relationship with the other person, right? You are you are trying to sort of keep them away from this part of you. So, what I want you to what I want you to focus on here is about finding ways to process through what's happened to you in the situation and to find ways to look at that thing with radical acceptance, right? This is a thing that happened. This is a thing that I cannot take back. And what are the things that led to this situation? What are the things that were there, consensual or not? And figure out what does this mean for you as a person, not what is the story that this is telling about you as a person, right? What does this yes. mean for you as, a, as a, a human who needs healing in this moment and not as a what, where can I put this on the the list of indictments yeah. that I have against myself that make me a criminal, that make me a bad person, Right. Um, yes. And I want to, I want to tell you that it is, it's actually okay to tell your boyfriend about this and ask him for support, um, and, and forgiveness, uh, you know, like, especially as you unpack this and you, and you sort of 
figure out your relationship to what happened that night. It's okay to ask for support. It's also within his rights to not be the person who supports you through healing through this. Do you know what I mean? Like he Mm -hmm. is allowed to, he's allowed to have any reaction within, you know, health and safety means to this, that he, he needs to grieve and, and process too. Um, that doesn't mean you need to internalize his reaction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, bad human. First of all, you are not a bad human. Um, and so I'm not going to call you that anymore. Um, maybe I'll call you um, hurt person. Uh, we know that you regret this decision. Uh, we hear it. We know that you know that this decision or what happened to you is going to impact you and your relationship. And, um, for that, we're, we're really sorry that this is going to have something that's going to create a big change. And our goal for you is to focus on what you need in this moment to talk, to think about, to process through what happened, uh, how it happened, why it happened, the stories that you're telling yourself about what happened and why, and to find a place where you can have this experience be integrated into your understanding of the world and not as something that is making a monster out of you. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much for writing. We love you. Absolutely. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something that we think that you are really going to like. And this week we want to send you home with a brand new podcast from the amazing podcast network, Duvid Media, <laughs> cool. which is our podcast network. It's uh, Spencer's new podcast called Dang, That's Weird. Um, it came out, um, it debuted on f- the 13th of October, so you can go listen to some episodes right now. Basically, it's um, folks, listeners, uh, being interviewed by Spencer about the weirdest thing that has ever happened to them, whether it's like I was raised in a cult or I saw a ghost, lots of paranormal things, but also just your average weird thing, like my dog ran away for a decade and then came back or something. Um, so it's super charming. Spencer, as you all know, has an excellent voice for radio. <laughs> he <laughs> <But> does. <laughs> he's been called sexy, sexy voice by many listeners. Um, but he's also um, a really good time, good person, great interviewer. And the guests so far have been awesome. I am one of them, if I do say so myself, with my one and only somewhat ghost story that you can hear at some point. And he's actually still looking for submissions for new episodes. If you have a weird story, true story from your life that you'd be willing to be interviewed um, about, you can email us at hello at duvid.media. And duvid is spelled D-U-V-I-D-E. And you can just, um, in the in the subject matter, you can say, dang, that weird, dang, that's weird submission. And then just write us like a brief summary of your story. And if we want to interview you or Spencer will interview you, we will get back to you. But uh, you can find new episodes of Dang, That's Weird wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise and tickets to our upcoming live show happening on Friday, October 21st in downtown St. Paul. 
Please remember to follow, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review, and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music recording, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. Uh, make sure to check out his music on Spotify and his newest podcast, Dang That's Weird, wherever you listen to your shows. And remember, sometimes doing the harder thing is doing the more kind thing to others, to yourself. Sometimes the radical honesty the radical acceptance might feel more uncomfortable in the immediate, but is more beneficial in the long term. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>